0: Good grief.
1: What is the matter?
0: I'm just looking at the news. It's grim, isn't it?
1: It is. It is grim. For listeners tuning in from the future, um, the hypothetical future, if there is one, things have taken quite a dark turn in the early weeks of March 2022.
0: Things taking taken a dark turn in March. Well, that is hardly unprecedented anymore, is it?
1: No, because well, COVID-19 kicked off in March 2020.
0: Yeah, but not even just that. Do you remember what we were doing in March 2019?
1: Um, Are you talking about our first appearance as a satirical two-hander at the York Literature Festival?
0: I am. (laughs) But just to be clear, I don't mean that the York Literature Festival is in any way a manifestation of dark days. The York Literature Festival is a very good thing. It is a good thing. Um, And indeed, people might want to return and do other events in in March 2022 Mm. at the York Literature Festival. So that's fine. But our event at York Literature Festival 2019, our first big satire event... We were actually imagining the end of the world, weren't we?
1: Yeah, we had the doomsday clock and everything, didn't we? Because we were imagining life after Brexit, but obviously the doomsday clock refers to all the other numerous ways in which we're all doomed um and the event was a talk called satire in the future can the satirist still save us i I feel like i'm advertising it three years too late Uh, it was held at york explore library on 25th of march 2019. Uh, do come along in the past um but when we organized it it was supposed to be after article 19 had been triggered but then the whole triggering thing got postponed until 29th of march at the very last minute so we had to hastily rewrite a lot of that but Yeah, the premise was really all about the form, function, future and history of satire. Um, And the question was, what will satire be able to offer us in a post-Brexit world of isolationist policies, European disintegration, rising living costs and desperate stockpiling? Because, you know, we thought we were being funny and wry, didn't we? But what could be worse than a Brexit?
0: And as if to answer that specific question, we soon find out, a global pandemic.
1: Yes, yeah, um, made worse because of Brexit yeah yeah um, and people were queuing up weren't they they were queuing up to say oh we were wrong we thought 2016 was bad because all those celebrities died and we thought it was bad when donald trump became president and we thought it was bad when we did the brexit but now people are dying every day in droves from a terrible new virus and we're all locked down over and over again and we kind of maybe might think things weren't so bad after all um, and think how lucky we were before all of this shit happened because now there's a virus. We're running up unimaginable debt. Now we know things can always get worse. And now they're in March 2022 seemed about as bad as they could be.
0: Yes. And then along comes March 2022.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, so there was a day a couple of weeks ago where on the same day that all COVID restrictions were lifted in England, um, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine in what some people are saying might be the start of World War Three.
0: Yeah, and that was only hours after it had been announced the Queen had actually caught COVID. So all in one day, COVID restrictions lifted, World War Three begins, and the well, Queen gets COVID. I'm not
1: going to bracket those things together. All <laughs> COVID restrictions being lifted um, is something people feel differently about. Putin invading Ukraine is something that's definitely bad and caused genuine suffering and massive potential problems. The Queen having a sniffle and carrying on her duties from the palace is, in my view... Not the same.
0: No, and nor, nor mine. Uh, although there was something that was quite, there was something quite funny about all of that. Was there? Yeah, so <laughs> someone, a celebrity, sort of like a, one of these celebrity gossip mongering websites in LA in America announced at midnight that day that the Queen had actually died of COVID. And of course the Queen, well, as far as we're aware, had not died of COVID. Yeah. But then that prompted a lot of memeing, which is like this guy, he had something like cj 12 can you imagine the scene when they open the bedroom door find the queen dead and it's like quick contact CJ12 in LA we've got to <laughs> tell the gossip people um yeah he found out first from his contacts yeah. at the palace but of course it transpired it seems to have transpired that she's yeah. not dead well, although know, how would we know could be dead Yeah,
1: you? I don't know because yeah this is very difficult to to see how we would tell at this point yeah um,
0: but I suppose with all of that going on being as it is at different gradations of terribleness mm. What hope is there for satire? Uh, Let's find out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's try and find some hope about satire or about something.
0: So do you think do jokes about Russia and Ukraine, can you do satire at a time of war?
1: Um well I think that's two questions I would say. You can you can do satire in a time of war. Um I kind of don't think you can do jokes about Russia and Ukraine. I think this is I haven't seen anybody try to I haven't seen any memes, of um, nothing. And and I would have to say I think Rightly so. Yeah. You can satirise government responses and some of the the people involved, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but what is the private eye take on that? The
0: private eye, I think, is a pretty good litmus test for this kind of thing. So, the private eye, the front cover of the private eye this week is. Ukraine war is Putin losing it which mm. is obviously a it's play it's a final play
1: on words, uh, it is isn't, play it? On words yeah. isn't it
0: so is he losing the war but also is he losing his mind yeah. and what satire I have seen what memes I have seen have usually been at Putin's expense the mm. suggestion that he's
1: well they've like, put his face on Hitler and stuff like that but yeah. is that satire
0: no and there's, I mean, there's a picture of him on the front cover of a photograph of him on a, a very very long table with his two generals at the other side of the table uh, which is quite a comic image, I suppose. Well, I think doing that's that what as... he does, isn't it? Yeah. He makes
1: people sit at the end of an insanely long table because he's terrified of catching COVID.
0: Yeah, yeah, all right, okay, I didn't realise that. Mm. And he's saying, if anyone calls me a, ma- a mad mass murderer, I'll blow up the world. So it's kind of doing well,
1: that's this... That's r- funny, isn't it? <laughs> it is.
0: It's kind of looking for the hypocrisies. I've just been flicking through to see if I could see any other references to it. I mean, a, a lot of it's quite straight-faced, but there's... um there's a cartoon of the White House, Joe Biden having a conversation in the White House and an aide is saying to him, Sir, it was a long rambling speech about Russia with signs of delusion and dementia. How do you want to respond to it? To which Joe Biden is saying, really, I thought it was one of my better ones. So okay. the, the joke there it's is that ableist, they're both old and yeah. demented, potentially. Yeah. So so there is there have been efforts. I mean, did you see what... Um, I mean, we often talk about led by donkeys, don't we? Mm. And we don't know whether they're satire activists or satir- activism infused with satire. Yeah. But uh, did you see what they were doing this morning? No. So they've been going around London and putting blue plaques on the houses of Russian oligarchs.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I might have seen that, yeah. Yeah,
0: to suggest that they have not had their assets stripped or been sanctioned in any way.
1: Well, that is good that they're doing that, um, but I think we knew that anyway, didn't we? We did. But it's perhaps useful to know where they live so people could... Go and strip their assets. What <laughs> is that, yeah. Vigilante asset stripping. No, don't do that, listeners. And Some of uh, our listeners are more impressionable, and they um, I have found they will do my bidding once I put it out on the airwaves. But guys, don't go and do vigilante asset stripping of Russian oligarchs in London. Seriously. Yeah,
0: yeah keep your vigilantism. Do do that. Don't do that. <laughs> keep your vigilantism within the confines of the satirical mode.
1: Keep your what within the Vigilant- confines of what your vigilantism. Oh, right, okay, so if yeah. you want to do
0: some vigilantism, do it yeah. as a satirist. Um, yeah. Something else that I just was reading about this morning that was absolutely fascinating, and I can't believe that we've not talked about this before. Mm. I mean, I didn't even know about it until the, until yesterday. Do you know about the backstory of Vladimir Zoloty? Yeah, he was a celebrity,
1: wasn't he? He wasn't He's just an actor a celebrity. And a comedian. But do you,
0: so He's he was in a sitcom. He was in a sitcom. Do you know what the sitcom was about?
1: Um. No.
0: So he was in a sitcom called Servant of the People, in which he played a history teacher who gets frustrated about corruption in government and does a rant in a classroom that gets secretly filmed by one of the students who then puts it on YouTube, which makes him an overnight internet celebrity. Then people who like his YouTube video crowdsource money to create a new political party. And he very quickly ends up becoming president of Ukraine. Right, the so character this is really
1: life-imitating art is well,
0: isn't it? It, it? But more, even more so than that. So that ran for three seasons, where he is a normal guy who ends up becoming president through internet celebrity. But then in real life, if you can call it such a thing, people in real life crowdsourced money to create a political party with the same name as the political party in the TV show, and he became the actual president of Ukraine.
1: Wow. <laughs> I wonder... Oh, that'll be why there was that meme about what, which of our comedians do you think would be a good Prime Minister? Yeah. Uh. So it's
0: kind of like, you know, there's the Donald Trump was made president because of The Apprentice. Yeah. Or Boris so Johnson. So he's a
1: populist president then, isn't he? Yeah. Just like the rest of them. But, but, but except, like, better. Yeah, but yeah. what
0: happened in his sitcom has happened in re, in real life. He is now right. the president. Um, but what's even more exciting than all of that is that Channel 4 have bought the show and are going to show it on Sunday nights for the right, next few weeks. Right, um, so uh,
1: I'd show it I, I wouldn't put that much gap between episodes if I were Channel Four. It <laughs> seems like an act of unwarranted optimism. But um yeah. uh, yes, I knew he was famous because that's why Putin um refers to him and his um government as drug addicts, isn't it? Right. He says they were drug addicts and that he needs to also denazify yeah Ukraine. This is this is the worst, most egregious instance of people saying people are Nazis when they're not. Yeah. <laughs> it like, is. It is, yeah. yeah. But like
0: when so one of the big news stories of the war so far, one of the headline catching moments is when Vladimir Zalovsky, who is now fighting on the front lines, has said, mm. uh, I don't need I don't need a helicopter, I need ammo or something like that, doesn't it? Right. Um which is a sort of thing a president would say in a film. Yeah. But he is a satirist. He he was involved in writing the show, he's acting the show so just like it's the ultimate version of satire becoming reality it would be like if it would be literally be like if Malcolm Tucker became the Prime Minister or not, yeah. or if Malcolm Tucker became, or
1: if <laughs> the Rebecca Front character became prime minister, that would be
0: more better. Yeah, if
1: only. Jesus. Yeah. God. Or Harriet Harriet Jones, Harriet, or Doctor Who. Harriet
0: Jones, MP Flydale North. Yeah, yeah, she could be prime minister. but I do think she's, she's starting to look a bit isn't tired. She? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, um, so that's crazy, isn't it? We should we should yeah. watch that and talk about it.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. The other thing that it's reminding me of a little bit is um, something we've already talked about. Don't look up. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah uh, That feels like I mean obviously We'll be looking up To see Not to see meteors But to see missiles But Mm. um, God If I could turn back the clock Do you know what I wouldn't do? Watch fucking threads
0: Oh yeah Well there's a joke about this I regret
1: that Every day right now
0: (laughs) There's a joke There's a cartoon In The Private Eye Where someone's Wearing like a back to the 80s Freddy Sa- Frankie says relax t-shirt okay. and it's like I think this 80s nostalgia's gone too far as yeah. the missiles are in the sky behind them so uh, yeah. yeah yeah don't watch threads everyone
1: yeah so satire dead not dead thread yeah. not thread um, it's interesting These things like this keep happening and then someone will say Oh, satire is dead now. Someone like us, or you can't do satire at a time like this because reality has jumped the shark. Like when Donald Trump tells everyone to drink bleach, or Boris Johnson has parties every day. Uh, also, like no one cares about that anymore. Do they? No. That's died a death. Yeah. Um, just because things have become so bleak, and um, for for so many people. But I mean, is it is it fair to say that satire keeps happening anyway, whatever?
0: Yeah, I think no matter what happens, satire is always happening somewhere. And uh, do you know someone who has confirmed that this is the case just recently?
1: Um, Yes, it's our close friend of the podcast Armando Iannucci
0: yeah close personal friend of the podcast Armando Iannucci yes he's
1: not really our close personal friend or a friend of the podcast listeners. He, he's retweeted us retweets retweets are are cheap <laughs> retweets are not necessarily endorsements as as you know although I don't know why do people put that. why do people put retweets are not necessarily endorsements like why are you retweeting it then I if you that. don't want to endorse it you quote tweet it in a sort of snarky way yeah why would you retweet it It'd be like I'm not, I'm not I figuring. I that's have silly, often wondered it? this yeah. I mean
0: when I when Twitter was new I used to um not retweet things but I used to like things so that I could find them again uh, um, so
1: you were using it like bookmark yeah, yeah so
0: it's like oh that's interesting I want to be I, want, I might show that to Joe or whatever or so indeed like, if you're
1: talking really old days yeah. you favorited them favourite that's right yeah I so I favorite yeah. it
0: so that I could find it again then I go into my favourites column and I'll be mm. able to find all these interesting tweets um, Ooh, but then, that's but, a, but like, a, that's a fa- risky move. But favouriting is not equal endorsement, but they wanted, no. yeah. But I mean, yeah, so, it's your
1: favorite, <laughs> it's your literal favorite, yeah. But you don't endorse it, yeah. But retweets, yeah. I mean, uh, the other thing is, what he retweeted wasn't some like pithy <laughs> comment made by the, the satire, twi- satire Twitter account, <laughs> careful. It wasn't. I can say twat if I want
0: yeah. to. It's my podcast. No, but it's also, isn't it? We're the satire twats. <laughs> yeah, we are. we are satire
1: twats. We might change our name to that. Um, but also, yeah, it wasn't something clever or smart, some observation we made, it wasn't it? It wasn't like when we were announcing a new episode of the podcast. It was just literally a kind of tweet of his interview in The Guardian with a little quote from it in it. We didn't yeah. even say... Armando Inucci is a good man
0: no the agency we exerted that we can take credit for is that we did select the quote to put in the tweet but what was quite funny is that well, got well you
1: did take the credit wow. where it's due so that got hun-
0: hundreds of retweets but Ooh. then I was like you know when when things go viral then people are like here's my IG or like here's my mm. here's my SoundCloud page I went in yeah. and I was like here's the episode where we talk about Armando uh, yes I
1: think it got one like didn't
0: it was and it that from was you me. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> So just to be clear we were not in any way the main event of that no, viral episode. No we were not. But what was it me. that why was Amanda Iannucci talking about this you think?
1: Um what do we think? <laughs> <laughs> I <I'm> not sure. <laughs> Um Amanda was asked in 2016 um, in an interview in the Independent if he would ever do another series of The Thick of It and he said Shall I do the accent? No. Yeah, do <laughs> no, the I accent. Can't, I can't do No, absolutely way. not. He doesn't talk like that. <laughs> he doesn't. I can't think how he does
0: talk. He's, he's got, very sorry, he's got like a soft well, Edinburgh draw, hasn't he? Oh, I need to hear not him say
1: No, absolutely not. He doesn't sound like that. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> he said... Um, and he said it in a in a um, enigmatic accent much like mine no absolutely not i now find the political landscape so alien and so awful that it's hard to match the waves of cynicism it transmits on its own fiction is winning because fact no longer makes sense and in the same year he said in the guardian that a polarization was happening in the world of satire um quote excessive sensitivity quelling humor on one side radical insensitivity masquerading as humor on the other and he argued that this polarization of comedy was replicating the new extremes of politics concluding that we've lost the third way did he did he hand in his cards
0: he did end in his, in his cards, obviously. I can see why he didn't want to do another series of The Thick of It, though, because what would happen if <coughs> Rebecca Front became the Prime Minister? <laughs> um, things
1: like, would be better. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, mm. But as we discussed in our festive Christmas gathering episode, which hasn't gone viral, um, he has, in fact, recently it published... It was popular, but, I mean, it, it didn't go as viral as the tweet about... No. Yeah. Um, he published a mock epic, a mock epic poem satirising the government's handling of the pandemic called Pandemonium.
1: Yes, then I'm teaching that on a module later this semester. Oh, wonderful. Mm.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. We'll do an episode about it. Yeah, we get should. Get all in here.
0: We should. We should do an episode about teaching satire. Yeah. We should. Because we're um, going to talk about it, aren't we, We the are. Um, conference? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so i have got all my
1: module in this sound booth and yeah. do the seminar right there. And I'll
0: bring my satire module kids as well, students as well. we well, about 15 students in this small space. It's a good well, job COVID's over.
1: Well, I mean, over. if they all turn up, it'd be over 30. Yeah,
0: good job Good job. Yeah. COVID's over. So, yeah. um... No, he didn't hand in his cards, he did Pandemonium, and even more recently than that, in fact, he did a Ask Me Anything, or a hashtag AMA, with Guardian Readers, which culminated in the feature that we tweeted, which he then retweeted, thus making him our close personal friend. Let's quickly discuss it.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, what, did our, what did our good pal say?
0: Uh, so he said so one of the questions was how bored are you with people asking how bored you are with people asking if reality has become impossible to satirise and oh, he said very meta yeah and he said I'm extremely bored and I don't think it has a lot of Say, people have forgotten no. that <laughs> he said I'm extremely bored but I don't think he's it gonna has he's going
1: to stop being friends with us if you keep mocking his accent
0: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mocking it I like it a lot of people have forgotten that life is real it's something you can invent. It's not, something. it's not something you can invent and occasionally be white, right? Life is something you're stuck with to deal with head on and not hide from. So that I think that's quite a good thing. People have mm. forgotten that life is real. And I mean, when you've got things mm. like Vladimir Zolotsky becoming the prime minister, president shortly after he became the president in a sitcom.
1: Did that make you forget that life was real, though?
0: No, I can. I sort of. I think. Well, I, it's something that we've talked about before, isn't it? Where when politics becomes a kind of participatory spectator sport, where it's like, mm. who can say the funniest thing about what's happening, you end up distanced from things. Mm-hmm. And it becomes what's funniest or what's the most cynical thing you can say. Yeah. So, but I don't know, what do you think he means by that?
1: Um, well, he qualifies it, doesn't he, by saying it's not something you can invent and, o- invent and occasionally rewrite if you're stuck with it. I'm not sure how that answers the question. I suppose he's saying reality it's always possible to satirise reality because reality is real yeah um and so that almost suggests that satirising the reality is a way of affirming the reality like you you you're saying like let's let's not be silly um let's satirise it let's deal with it head on by satirising it
0: yeah which is interesting isn't it so let's because the so the suggestion is the way to deal with these problems is through satire which is quite mm. different to some things that people have said whilst we've been running this podcast, isn't? It? Which is that, like, trying to deal with things through satire is a way of avoiding mm. actual change.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So he's saying reality hasn't become impossible to satirise, but people have forgotten that life is real. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose he, okay. So throwing your hands up and saying, "Well, this is beyond satire. This is, um, this is just insane." That is a way of detaching yourself from the reality. Yeah. Uh, you know, just. Going through your life saying, ah, you couldn't make it up."
0: I think that's that's a really good point. That is what he's saying, isn't it? So people, people who are handing their car who say like, "Reality has become so ridiculous now; it's not real anymore." So I mm. don't. So therefore, I no longer have to engage with it. It's a yeah. it's a way of, of escaping from the issues. Maybe so. By dog has do does That's a user on the internet. He yeah. said. Satris should be the scourge of the establishment, feared and hated. Do you worry about becoming a court jester who exists only to gently mock but never seriously challenge the king? And well, he said, "It
1: sounds like by dog has dodos is basically not asking him if he's worried about that. He's like, accusing him of being yeah. that, isn't he? Like, do you ever worry that you're a fat smelly twat?" <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so what was Armando Inucci's response to that?
0: He said, I've never really called myself a satirist. I know other people call me that because of the thick of it. But is Alan Partridge satire? That's a very good question. We've talked about that. We have, and he said, yes, it was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it has elements of satire
0: yeah. in it. It's um, it's yeah. Sort of the format is certainly parodic. Mm. Uh, I just make funny stuff. I don't get up in the morning and think, who shall I satirise today? Having said that, I do write stuff that I'm passionate about even if it makes me angry. Tony Blair taking us into a needless war got me angry, and that's what made me do In The Loop. My Covid poem is a response to the anger and frustration about how I felt the last two years have been handled. So as long as I can preserve my own personal sense of effrontery, then I feel I'm doing what I want to.
1: Yes, but by doghouse, Dodos didn't ask him if he felt like he was doing what he wanted to. He said, do you worry about being a court jester who exists only to gently mock but never seriously do it king? It's not not really what you were asked there, is it? No, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good. It it's it's still an interesting answer, but I don't think he's taking on the point about you know should you be should you be a scourge rather mm. than something cozy. But I suppose in um, in talking about anger and the ways in which anger provokes him to to do these things, and I suppose also in his answer is implicit the sense that he's not. He's not just anti-establishment or anti-Tory, you know. Some at the thick of it and in the loop were were satirising Tony Blair and the Labour administration. Yeah, the COVID poem is about Boris Johnson's. So anger is not entirely partisan, is it? It's just what are you cross about today? No,
0: and do you know who who also said, "I don't write for any particular reason other than the fact that I'm angry"?
1: Um, Is it somebody from the eighteenth century? Nearly. Is it somebody from the 19th century?
0: Earlier than that
1: Is it somebody from the 17th century? Earlier than that Is it somebody from the 16th century? Earlier than that Is it somebody from the Bible? I Later don't know anything before the 16th it's, century um, I, don't, not, <laughs> I don't know what number would come before that Oh of course yes, <laughs> yeah, like, is it, Roman Roman Roman? yes. it is,
0: yeah it's juvenile So he said I, I don't write to do satire I don't write for the I write because I can't help it I write mm. because I'm angry and Do you know the,
1: who else said I'm going to write because I cannot help it? No. Um, Charlotte Bronte but not in the context in which it's quoted. Okay. But anyway you carry on.
0: Why did she say it then?
1: Um so she was like having a miserable time when she was I think it was one of the times she was a teacher at school and she was rubbish at it and she was it's in a letter and she's like um you know I I'm, I'm just going to write to you because I can't help it I think she just wanted to communicate. Um I think it was that. Uh, but it's like obviously, it's a bit of a tote bag thing, like because it suggests that she's like possessed by the muse all the time, and yeah, that she you know, she's making a bold affirmative statement that she's jolly well going to write Jane Eyre. But right. it, de- it wasn't that, okay.
0: okay. But the, but my point is, Juvenal mm. didn't necessarily go around saying I'm Juvenal and I'm a satirist, well, but he did produce, <laughs> odd. but he is like the archetypal sat. was well, the archetype for a particular mode yeah. of satire. And he's saying a very similar thing to Amanda Iannucci. So, But also, like, I, I take the point You don't wake up and go, I'm a satirist, I'm going to do satire today He does what he needs to do, and it seems like yeah. satire is a tool In his toolbox that he uses often
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be odd, wouldn't it? Do you wake up in the morning and think I'm a lecturer, I'm going to lecture today
0: I do on a Monday, because I have three lectures
1: Yes, well, so do I but, um, <laughs> but, you know, No, you I know, don't you, you know, I mean, you don't walk around and go I'm, I'm a lecturer I'm, going, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> Except polymath <at> parties.
0: <laughs> I'm a polymath and a podcaster and a lecturer uh, that, that's what i say to myself when i look in the mirror in the is it I'm a, what
1: is it i'm a polymath
0: <laughs> i'm a polymath a podcaster and lecturer oh, and uh and today i'm going to be my best self uh, do you really in those categories no i don't right. do that no i don't do that
1: i'm quite i might do it i might that. do it tomorrow yeah. see if it changes
0: how i feel about husband myself husband
1: of a murdered <laughs> wife. wife it would be wouldn't it obviously
0: murdered yeah. of a husband's wife yeah yeah um yeah do you think you I'm a podcaster. In in I'm, I'll get my podcast contract in this life or the next. Yeah, I don't think I'll, get, I'll my, get my
1: vengeance
0: in this world. I'll get my BBC Sounds podcast in this life or the next. Yeah, yeah. no, you won't get your vengeance. No, no.
1: no. Well, if
0: you've got your vengeance, then there'll be no need to do any satire anymore. Would there? Be sort no, of yeah. sorted.
1: Um, that's true. So maybe satire is just the um, occupation of people with no meaningful outlet for <laughs> vengeance. And that's why Vladimir Putin doesn't do any <laughs> satire because he's got more meaningful ways of exerting his vengeance. Yeah, whereas Volodymyr
0: Zelosky does do satire.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Because, mm, but he doesn't do satire now, does he? Don't know. He wasn't a satirical president.
0: No. Well, no. <laughs> no. I
1: don't think. I don't know.
0: Um, I'm fascinated by him. Yeah. We should an episode all about him. Yeah. Cool. Um,
1: well, let's wait and see <laughs> uh, where things go. Yeah. Because his, his story is clearly going to only become more complicated and interesting. I don't um, think we should talk about Amanda yeah, so and say, Vladimir Zelosky anymore. Thinking, thinking of things being interesting, that was interesting, but um, listeners might be wondering at this point, although it seems unlikely, um, who we are. Yeah. what this is, <laughs> and why we've been talking about men for ages and ages, when this is meant to be about International Women's Day, so, yeah, isn't ha- it? Always the way, eh? It is, yeah. it is.
0: So halfway through the episode, who are mm. you, what are you doing?
1: Um, I am a lecturer, I have value in the world, what's the other thing? I'm a polymath, and I am Dr. Joe War, senior lecturer in 19th century literature.
0: And I'm Dr. Adam Smith, senior lecturer in 18th century literature.
1: Mm. You're a polymath?
0: And I'm a polymath and a podcaster. Right. And I'm doing better
1: yeah. Are you a joker?
0: <laughs> no
1: Are you a midnight smoker?
0: No, okay. I'm a bitch
1: <laughs> I'm a lover I'm a Child, I'm a mother Yeah. I'm a sinner. or I'm a saint And I do not feel ashamed
0: <laughs> yeah. Too, yeah, too right
1: and, and we discuss the form, fashion, future <laughs> and history Of unrelated song lyrics, of satire Yeah, we do On this podcast Which is called Smith and War Talk about Satire. Yes.
0: Okay. So this episode is in two halves. The first part was about war and uh, satire, and the second half we're going from WW3 to IWD.
1: Oh, very good.
0: Yeah. Because it's International <laughs> Women's Day.
1: Are you a creep? No. Okay. Are you a widow? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here?
0: I don't know. Is that Radiohead? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I don't belong here. So IWD, yeah. International Women's Day, 8th of March, 2022. If everything goes to plan, you'll be listening to this on or off shortly after that day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the theme of uh, International Women's Day this year, jo? Uh
1: The theme of International Women's Day this year is hashtag break the bias. Well, no, the theme is break the bias, but it's got a hashtag. Um, and it says on internationalwomensday.com, Or it invites you on internationalwomensday.com to imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination, a world that's diverse, equitable and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated. Together, we can forge women's equality. Collectively, we can all hashtag break the bias, celebrate women's achievements, raise awareness against bias, take action for equality. Um, and there's a few statements here that activists and allies are encouraged to pledge to by tweeting them with the hashtag break the bias i will forge positive visibility for women i will celebrate women's achievements i will call out gendered actions or assumptions we just called out our own in shitting on about men for 20 minutes we did um i will help forge a gender equal world i will challenge gender stereotypes discrimination and bias so yeah noble
0: Good statements Mm. Yeah So it seems to me Mm -hmm. That the reason why we have inequality along these lines Is because of the patriarchy Mm
1: -hmm. What's that? what is a patriarchy you ask yes (laughs) (laughs) well since you asked me for a definition of the patriarchy that was a bit niche or niche niche um it is a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is reckoned through the male line Mm -hmm. in its most basic um manifestation but then also by extension and hence i suppose you know the whole notion of the personal is political and um, when that extends to society and government where men tend on the whole to have the power and women tend on the whole to be excluded from it and then we can also say that anything is patriarchal or the, the values are patriarchal and um, where we see things in everyday life and society that seem to derive from that basic overarching ideology that Family that organises families, societies, and governments via the male line, and the men have the more power. I mm-hmm. think that's yeah. about right. I think that sounds
0: okay. I approve yeah. of that definition because my patriarchal power. Yeah,
1: so do we. I mean, not, not everybody would agree that we live in a patriarchy. What's your argument for that?
0: Oh, uh, well, I think the qu- you can't answer, you can't have the conversation without thinking about the historical scope of it from, from so I think to answer the question of is do we still live in a patriarchy mm-hmm. where is patriarchy today I think it comes down to the way that society is structured from the at le- the level of language and beyond mm-hmm. uh, and involves all kinds of assumptions many of which have come to seem natural yeah. so and, and they usually revolve around and I think most students can tell you this when they arrive at university because we it the male being active and the female being passive or mm-hmm. the masculine being active and the female being passive the, the male being the one who takes and the female one being the one who <laughs> receives or is to be looked at or objectified or celebrated at the level of mm-hmm. object um, and those assumptions are ingrained aren't they? Yeah. Um, and but then they also because they're ingrained leak into legal practices social practices and all these kinds of things yeah
1: and it might go both ways as well I think it's difficult isn't it because you have to distinguish between things that are the legacies of or the the signs of a patriarchy Mm. and things that are perhaps better described as being sexist or misogynistic and obviously patriarchy implies both of those things but I would say for example like when you ring up about something or Mm -hmm. somebody rings you how many times in your life just to the nearest dozen Mm -hmm. have you been asked i'm sorry is that master or mister Mm, never never right how many times do you think i've been asked is that miss or missus every time every time yeah Yeah. um and so that's patriarchal because you know it evaluates me by am i um a young spinster or am i have i managed to get myself married and get the title of missus yeah whereas master and mister is just like well it's ludicrous isn't it because yeah. we occasionally refer to small boys as master but not never yeah. adult men
0: I thought it was quite interesting in the conversation we had with Andrew Doyle when he was we were talking about this issue mm. and he said we can trust in the law to basically sort these things out and we have a law that promotes equality and then you mm. said but if I go to buy a car and I'm patronised by the salesperson on the basis that you know the way that he speaks to me because i'm a woman i then can't like press legal charges and nor yes. should i like it yeah you can't i certainly just...
1: didn't mean i wish i was allowed <laughs> no, to no hello but is that the police? <laughs> but, but the point I'm is just like being called darling by a mechanic
0: there, there, there is a sort of section of issues that you can't resolve through law or yeah, through political yeah. authority
1: and to be clear as well you know some are more serious than others because obviously people might listen to me just having said that and say well like it's hardly life or death is it that's a moment of your life Mm. and some women like to be called miss and misses but you know if it was that great to be defined by your marital status the men would be doing it too yeah
0: I mean I think as well so there's there's two other aspects of this and this is it's worth talking about because it comes up in our what we're about to do when we look at some examples of female satire there's gender stereotype stuff isn't Mm. there so the idea that masculine and feminine reinforces the active and passive binary
1: yeah.
0: um, and lots of behaviours are socially constructed. And this is what feminism mm. is about for a long time, isn't it? That the, so the gender stereotypes are created in a way to reinforce these dynamics. So there's yeah. all of that. I have seen counter-arguments that are like, well, and uh, and we strands of feminism that do this, yeah. uh, but also like um, the idea, Catherine Hakim's idea of erotic capital. So for example, yeah. like the fact that one And you see it... I've been watching Mad Men recently. and You mm. see, like, you can leverage yeah. uh, some of these assumptions to your benefit. But then, ultimately, who benefits on the whole? So there's all of that. But then the other thing is, it all comes down to primogeniture, doesn't it? Male, mm. Property passing down through the male bloodline. And when you get up into the establishment and stuff like that, like you were talking about this the other day with students in uh, our module, Theorising Literature, parent Identity,
1: mm-hmm. only
0: boys go to Eton. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, and, and yes, there are public schools that are for girls only as well, yeah. but um, I don't think any of them have the international clout of Eton or as many yeah. Russian oligarchs kids. No. <laughs>
0: but when you um, really dig down into yeah. it, it's important to be a man.
1: Yes, yeah, and there are all kinds of ways in which gates are kept at the very mm. highest levels of power where, you know, perhaps on a day to day level in most people's ordinary lives, we, we don't encounter sort of quite so nakedly the idea that like no you can't do that because you're a woman or Mm. you you aren't allowed in there because you're a woman i think it's telling that at some of the highest levels of power and influence those rules are more strictly um are more apparent
0: but um i was actually reading about feminism recently again for a lecture that i'm writing it's what mm. we do isn't it wake up in the morning go today i'm a lecturer and i'm going to write a lecture and, you know, it's often often said now in some of the stuff that I encounter and, and engage with that, you know, one of the biggest dangers to the feminist cause now is the idea that everything is sorted. Like, yeah, everything's sorted now, so we don't need to go on about feminism anymore.
1: Yeah, which would be quite a convenient notion for the patriarchy to manage to get out there, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, but yeah. I've been reading this book about the history of feminist movements, and uh, in the 1920s, people were saying... yeah.
1: Well they saying don't <clears> worry <throat> girls in 50 years time you will be allowed to have a mortgage on your own so we're, we're all done here.
0: <laughs> no they yeah well they were saying it's sorted like it, mm. we've got the vote now it's sorted and at every yeah. stage there's people saying it's sorted and I think that's yeah but but I mean yeah. I've jumped ahead there what is what even is feminism?
1: What is feminism? I for me is intrinsic to being a feminist is recognizing and acknowledging where and how patriarchal values and ideologies are still present in society. It's about acknowledging the disadvantageous position that women are still in. And I think as well, there's there's a slightly unpleasant tendency to look around you where you are, if you're in, for example, England, and think, well, you know, my, my line managers are women, my doctors are women, my dentists are women, things are sorted. Um, I know that people will call out certain kinds of bad behavior there are things that aren't acceptable now that would have been acceptable 20 30 40 years ago but recognizing that across the globe that isn't always the case that there are parts of the world where it is extremely dangerous to be a woman and it's about acknowledging that kind of commonality and also of course you know there is there's still plenty you can see on the ground here but I think about acknowledging that there are those connections globally that that mean that since it's international women's yeah. day isn't it? not sort of privileged westerners day
0: just that point about looking around you where you are so you, mm. you look around you where you are yeah and you say like i've got my line managers well it was a hypothetical <coughs> <person> <coughs> no but but it, that. but it is
1: Although all of those things are true
0: yeah chances right. chancellor's a woman Most half the executive board or more are women but then when it comes down to that the practical stuff of day to day it is statistically supported that in student evaluations, it's gendered. So yes, did we talk about this? We on did. International so Women's I, Day before? so, so yeah. there's just a reminder that, that is still the case. Mm-hmm. But I think something we didn't talk about is it's now, I was looking at a study recently that was saying that when it comes to pastoral support and academic GTS, overwhelmingly it's female staff that that get their tutorials booked up with students who want to talk about pastoral support whereas the male members of staff don't attract that sort of thing and that's nothing to do with the people involved in the system but it just yeah. speaks to an assumption doesn't it so even though structurally you can be like we well, look on paper here it's all sorted yeah in those kind of quotidian instances it's not
1: yeah absolutely um and i think it's especially interesting dynamics in the humanities as well in terms of like who does the undergraduate degree how what's the balance like by the time mm. you get to the MA? What's it like by the time you get to PhD? And what's it like when you look at the faculty? And that there's a market shift, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it, it, that also can make conversations around this. You were talking about teaching about feminism and patriarchy and so on. You know, it means that those conversations are being had in groups that are predominantly female um, in yeah. our seminars. So it's always, I often ask them, like raise your hand if you've ever whilst going about your business and not having asked for it been advised by someone you don't know to smile Um, and it's pretty clear who raises their hand or like I mean Adam were you at primary school I imagine you were quite a well behaved little child yes were you ever seated next to the naughtiest girl in the class with the hope that you would exert a good influence on her no but whereas I think most girls at primary school nod in recognition mm. and secondary school actually nod in recognition of that same wow. idea that you know girls are there to to moderate the boys and to civilize them in some way um that makes yeah, me and wish have that have been, been, been told you look really pretty when you smile you should smile more
0: uh i <laughs>
1: by someone you don't even know
0: not by a stranger no right. no i've been told uh to stop looking so miserable Right and um, but but, in but a, were in you a miserable very specific at the time? Context. Well I was then mm. because I was like, I'm fine, why is this person saying I look miserable?" And then they're like, if you go co- don't stop looking miserable, we'll have to have a word. I was working I was at work at the time I was on a new right. restaurant and then I just got so upset that this person kept telling me I was miserable that I became miserable yeah. and then it got a real sold off right, really told okay. off. But I mean, that's a very rare occasion. the fact is that most of my life no people don't say and people don't say you've got a nice smile or mm. they don't make any comments about me aesthetically really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe feminism's gone too far, but it would be nice for you to be told to smile. Maybe you would enjoy that. Maybe the women are the lucky ones because we get the advice on what to do to look pretty. Yeah, bit of a, bit of a tangent there. Well, Night I think it's
0: International Women's Day. We've established what patriarchy and feminism is. But the yeah. reason we're talking about this it's because is of because satire. satire, I have a thesis statement. Here comes the satire, here which comes is the thesis that, statement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That the satire lends itself particularly well to the work of feminism. Do you agree?
1: Uh, I think it can do, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is complicated by the fact that it has, as we've said many times, traditionally been a man's game mm. um, and is is still probably quite heavily dominant. I mean, who writes... I would imagine the editorial board at Private Eye quite
0: yeah
1: manly. I think it is, yeah. Or male, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> manly in his look. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, so... Go on, say. say well, I more think, because well, satire
0: is about drawing attention to ridiculousnesses and hypocrisies and things that are stupid in, in the attempt to destabilize. And essentially, when we talk about patriarchy or some of these patriarchal attitudes, we're talking about things that are almost invisible. Mm. I mean, Zizek says of ideology that ideology is the dictatorship inside democracy. And. I think that's quite it's not the same but it's a useful thing it's the, it's this thing that lurks in everything that we do that's not that by virtue of what it's doing and how it operates and how it's formed it's not visible so mm-hmm. satire can come along and be like well, hello that's ridiculous and then we all see it yeah so I think the potential that is certainly there they can render things
1: visible
0: that go yeah. unnoticed in day to day life so um, shall we forge visibility for women by celebrating the achievements of satirical women who have called out gendered actions and assumptions to help forge a gender equal world and challenge gender stereotypes discrimination and bias
1: well, let's make that task a little bit more achievable as they let's talk about some women in satire. Yeah, let's um, do that. Because they don't have to have been calling out gendered actions and assumptions, but let's raise some voices, yeah. let's amplify some women, because to be fair, women do usually have quieter voices. They so do. Let's amplify them. Yeah, we've amplified yeah. your voice a few times in this We have like we've this literally used the amplifier Yeah. Too. although one time you had the rubbish microphone <laughs> and I was doing the editing. And I literally went through and amplified the voice of the white male.
0: So, Joe, tell us about A Woman of Satire.
1: I mean, just straight off the bat, and it's not something I've done a huge amount of biographical research about, but I would like to do a little shout-out for the work of Rosie Holt on Twitter not in uh, recent months. What's she been doing?
0: So, Rosie Holt is a comedian, who, another one of these comedians who has really thrived during the TikTok turn of her comedy during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> in that she produces these usually straight video monologues mm. sometimes it's a dialogue but with no other person there where she she has these f- comedy characters who are often politicians Tory mm. politicians or just people who are misguided yeah she's very good so what she does is her shtick is that she always adopts the character of the person that she's satirizing. And,
1: and she's one of those performers that's very kind of malleable, isn't she? She's very believable as yeah. an MP, for yeah. example. Yeah.
0: So she perfectly apes the kind of the way that they speak and the mm. way they're and the kinds of things that they say. And then usually the the character will slowly realise that what they say is clearly palpably ridiculous and indefensible, mm. and then try to uh, backtrack. Yeah. yeah. that has been uh,
1: mistaken for real numerous times on Twitter, hasn't she? That's lovely so stuff. So polished her satire. Yeah. So check yeah. out check Rosie out Holt. Rosie Holt. Excellent. Yeah. Who else? Who else do you like in the? Uh in the satire world well a,
0: a I woman. thought uh, maybe we would talk just very briefly about a woman from the 18th century mm-hmm. um, so there's Eliza Haywood is a, a remarkable figure if you've not heard of Eliza Haywood everyone go that to,
1: means
0: you haven't ever met Adam yeah <laughs> Google Eliza Haywood go to Project Gutenberg and read Eliza Haywood's work for free online mm. Eliza Haywood was one of the few one of the first people really to live by their pen in the 18th century in this new print culture she, was, she wrote plays she wrote stories she was a journalist she had a, wrote periodicals she did everything. She was, yeah, and she was a woman. In, and it's an interesting case study as well because there is. I think I said this last year, at International Women's Day. There's sometimes an assumption that. Well, it's often said, isn't it, by that women are invisible in the past or like mm, women didn't have a voice. Or whatever.
1: Publish under your own
0: name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Eliza Haywood su- would suggest that, that isn't the case. Doesn't mean mm. that it was easy, but she produced an enormous amount of content and lots of short stories. Uh, Fantamina is one of her best known. That was rediscovered in the 1980s. There's lots of them. Mm. But she also wrote this periodical. Well, th- she wrote two periodicals. The first periodical she wrote was called the Female Spectator, and I won't talk too much about that today because I might need something to talk about next International Women's Day. Okay. But uh, but that was sure, is...
1: ever the optimist.
0: <laughs> but the Parrot was a short-lived weekly periodical that ran for nine issues in 1746. So a periodical is like a magazine that comes out every week and I periodicals know. no I know you know <laughs> so this listeners I are educated. Just... but these periodicals like the spectator like the tattler they would be narrated by a, like a fictional editorial persona and that is that a
1: bit like in Bridgerton?
0: somebody said that to me this morning I've yeah. not seen Bridgerton so well there's
1: like a woman who's doing or a person a mystery person right um, yeah so there is like this sort of mystery gossip Um. I don't know well I think it I don't know if it comes out strictly weekly. It comes out every so often, and it's all like society gossip and secrets, and they have to wonder who it is, right? Um, that is writing. It's exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So that what's happening, in Bridgeton there? The the word that is often used to describe that is idolon. Mm. So it's like an editorial persona, a fictional editorial persona that narrates the periodical. Haywood's innovation is that her idolon, the authorship enacted by her periodical, was attributed to a green parrot um not just any green parrot but a green parrot that had been born in java captured taken to holland and sold to amongst many others a french merchant a gifted widow then bought by a philosopher sold to a gentleman taking the grand tour then to a young girl and uh, a series of english noblemen before eventually rocking up in london and deciding to start a periodical so this well-traveled bird editor or avian eidolon uh, is able to draw on such a wealth of cosmopolitan knowledge to offer his unique perspective on all that he observes in London. Does and it
1: like fly, or is it like literally a bird's eye view? Then he yeah. flies around and he yeah, look, yeah.
0: Right. And because he's been around the world and he's had more cosmopolitan experience than the people he's often describing, he can point out their absurdities and de-familiarized, assumptions. De-familiarized. Yeah, defamiliarized yeah. exactly. Yeah. So the parrot is this kind of exotic outsider who can skewer and trouble the assumptions and hypocrisies and contradictions of mm-hmm. contemporary London yeah. society. And if you're wondering why I know so much about this. I know why you know so much about it. <laughs> ben and I um, have written a, chapter, a book chapter about this.
1: Um, so what a guy's!
0: but uh, in the course of that research i found this this description of it by Catherine r king scholar who said that haywood's parrot speaker is an alien many times over stigmatized by species green coloration and java-born foreign origin and thus an apt comic mouthpiece for a satire on the narrow insularity and easily inflamed xenophobia of the british as well as an expression of distaste for english prejudice so the parrot can look askance at human activities as i say def- you say defamiliarize and uh, recognize these kinds of things but also the parrot and it's something that ben and i talk about is a quasi allegorical standing for lots of different types of humans as well so obviously slaves colonial subjects the fact that is the reality for this parrot this fictional parrot that it's been taken from its home and moved all around europe so it and it, it suffers prejudice because of its color mm-hmm. so there's that um, it's green, like Jacobites. But the one that I really wanted to talk to talk about today is uh, women.
1: Right. So
0: parrot. Women was often a derogative term for women writers was parrots. Right. So if you wanted to put a woman down, you say she's just a parrot, as right. in she's a pretty prattler. Right. And this parrot, the parrot who's writing this periodical, has been dismissed from public discourse with as a res- uh, it has been the recipient of the same kinds of insults that women writers got. So it literalizes an insult, basically. Mm. So Eliza Haywood is a woman who's been called a parrot, who then writes this periodical as a parrot. She's and you, I'll be a parrot then. Yeah, yeah. and the, and when you call a be
1: parrot, you've ever seen I, is that? Yeah. So
0: when you'd call a woman a parrot, you'd say you'd be suggesting that all of their ideas are recycled and regurgitated without understanding, in the way that a parrot repeats things that they shouldn't. We shouldn't listen too much to what they say, but we should just th- enjoy the exotic. Uh, uh, put in them a, in a cage. Put them yeah. in a cage. Just enjoy the fact that there's a woman talking but mm. like don't credit what they're saying it's like
1: a dog standing on its hind legs so um a quote from Joe there?
0: Is it go on
1: was it a, a woman Something is like a dog standing on its hind legs. It's Sam John- Samuel Johnson, isn't oh, it? Oh, right. I mean, you keep talking I'll have a look
0: yeah. for that. So, uh, in the nine issues, it challenges... She uses the parent voice to challenge all of these things. Xenophobia, racism, misogyny, but primarily the, the treatment of women. you found the quote? Yeah. you
1: want to hear it now? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I not want to, yeah. no, it, no, you you want to you interrupt say. you. No, no, go on. It's, um, your, so it's, your, it's your people, isn't it? Johnson said... <laughs> Sir, a woman's preaching is like a dog's walking on his hind legs. It is not done well, but you are surprised to find it done it's ex- at all. So it's exactly yes. that,
0: yeah. So that's how you dismiss a woman I by saying... Saturised
1: in Blackadder that's a lot as well, isn't right. it?
0: So yeah, so that's that's what she did. Mm. And What a gal. Yeah, do you want to hear what it sounds like, a bit of a quote from it? Well,
1: can I, I imagine what it sounds like, because she said it's like Bridgerton, is it would be like... The eyebrows of polite society were raised today to learn that a certain Miss Daphne Bridgerton has been banging the duke in the rain. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly what right. it, it's that, like. Is that yeah, it? that, yeah. is Sorry, that the I don't point? need to read the quote yeah, right out okay. now. You can still read it.
0: So here's an example of what it's like from the parent issue one. Uh, some people will have it that a colonial subject... Mind as well set up for a beauty as a green parrot for a good speaker. Preposterous assertion as if the complexion of the body has any influence over the faculties of the mind. Yet merely on this score they resolve right or wrong to condemn all I say beforehand.
1: Right, so, so she's, basically they've looked at her seen that, well, the real meaning is seen that she's a woman within the context of this it's like they've seen that I'm a parrot and mm-hmm. so they decide based on that that nothing I have to say is worth hearing.
0: And that's ridiculous. Yeah. And that it's next... like a
1: dog on its hind legs. It is. Yeah.
0: So... What is that if not challenging gender assumptions and and platforming female voices? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Amplify Eliza Hayward. Yeah. Eliza Hayward, consider yourself amplified. Next. Next. Yeah, so we thought we might just talk about Dorothy Parker, Hmm. didn't we, who was a comedian, satirist, essayist, short story writer, American, I should say, in the um, early part of the 20th century. Extremely funny clever and satirical woman and i think we've both been reading haven't we some of her complete short stories which mm. are they're um they basically usually tend to skewer sort of upper middle class new york society not it must be said i don't think she is usually going after the position of women or the way that people talk to women is it's not my impression anyway the reason we're talking about her isn't because she's necessarily doing feminist things but just to mention that she is a satirist who perhaps hasn't always received the respect due to her yeah and one of my favorite stories is a story called you were perfectly fine in which she does what she what she usually does which is very gradually and subtly reveal people's flaws idiosyncrasies foibles and hypocrisies pretty much exclusively through what they say there's very little kind of narrative gloss on that or um opinion and so do you know the story no so in you were perfectly fine a hungover young man is meeting a girl who's who's not hungover but has been out with him the night before he's he's very anxious he's basically suffering from profound anxiety he says Do you know what time I got up? Four o'clock this afternoon, sharp. I kept trying to make it, and every time I took my head off the pillow, it would roll under the bed. This isn't my head I've got on now. I think this is something that used to belong to Walt Whitman. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. And then he asks, um, tell me, was I very terrible last night? And she is reassuring him but in a way that progressively makes it clear just how awfully he behaved so she says oh goodness everybody was feeling pretty high you were all right yeah I must have been dandy as everybody saw at me good heavens no she said everybody thought you were terribly funny of course Jim Pearson was a little stuffy there for a minute at dinner but people sort of held him back in his chair and got him calmed down I don't think anybody at the other tables noticed it at all hardly anybody he was going to sock me, he said. Oh, Lord, what did I do to him? "Why well, you didn't do a thing, she said. You were perfectly fine. But you know how silly Jim gets when he thinks anybody's making too much fuss over Eleanor. Was I making a pass at Eleanor, he said. Did I do that? Of course you didn't, she said. You were only fooling, that's all. She thought you were awfully amusing. She was having a marvellous time. She only got a tiny bit annoyed just once when you poured the clam juice down her back. <laughs> and so on and so forth to the point where it's... Um, He was like, Oh no, it was fine that you were singing. I mean, we tried to like get you off the table when you were doing it because you were. And then he he thought that the waiter was. You said the waiter was your long lost brother changed in the cradle by by a gypsy band and anything you had was his. Uh, You had him simply roaring at you. And then it took a sort of dislike to some old man with white hair across the room because you didn't like his necktie and you wanted to tell him all about it. And it just gets progressively worse and worse. But then it transpires that. Well, whether this actually happened or whether she is using the fact that he has no memory, she's like, oh, but you must remember the cab ride when you said that you'd always liked me. And that she's basically now talking as if they're engaged. And just right. like, oh, after, after we had that little exchange, I'm not letting you out of my sight. And it ends with him being like... Oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really beautifully, cleverly, wittily um, observation of, of anxiety, I suppose, um, and also the, the kind of mounting sense of, I mean, the, there's just a comedy in that generally, mm. isn't there? It, yeah. The slow reveal of more and more detail. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and Dorothy Parker, I think, is probably best known for her poem, Resume, mm-hmm. um, on the subject of suicide. Right. Um, nice and short. Do
0: you want to hear it? <laughs> yeah, go on then.
1: Razors pain you, rivers are damp, acid stain you and drugs cause cramp. Guns aren't lawful, the nooses give, gas smells awful, you might as well live. Ah, oh, very good advice. Yeah. What do you like about Dorothy Parker? Oh, I
0: d- think, just that very well observed, um, mm. very funny. I mean, the story. there's a story I really like in here uh, which is called Song of the Shirt, 1941. Do you right. read this one?
1: Is that the one with the, like she's a sort of do-gooder yeah. community benefactress she, she is.
0: is. She's kind of a yeah, exactly that. She's a, this but but also a bit of has I think the story she doesn't it's mostly from her perspective, the story doesn't say this, but I think it's heavily implied that she has a bit of a martyr mm. syndrome and has a tendency to take on too much and then become deeply resentful that she's taken on so much. Does she um, actually
1: take on too much, or just feel that she has all uh, the? She actually, does but, she actually there's, does, but then, but then,
0: there's or... in contrast, there's another character called Missus Corning, who's her manager, who seems to believe that she does everything. But the, mm. the the suggestion is that she doesn't actually do as much as she thinks. So you've right. got two characters, one who does too much, one who does too little, but they both basically believe that they're the victim right. in the situation. Is so
1: it like Hannah and Bugsy in Below Deck?
0: Do you think? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, but it, the, the the conclusion is quite oh, tra- like tragically funny mm-hmm. uh, because for various reasons so the, the manager asks them all to take home extra shirts because they need they they're, they're sewing these shirts for the war effort and our do-gooder character takes home a ridiculous amount and then gets home and is basically tearful because she's going to spend her whole weekend doing these shirts at which point a young neighbor comes in and is like oh I don't suppose you know anyone who needs any work doing like I've got a niece who's got nothing to do and any experience would be valuable and she'd literally do anything and she looks oh, i do good who looks at the shirts, looks back at the woman and goes no I can't think of anything but I'll do my best to consider it and then carries <laughs> on sewing so the shirts and it's just like I think the point is if she was prepared to delegate ever yeah. so slightly there are actually people falling over themselves to help but she can't see yeah. them so I thought that was quite well observed yeah
1: I think um, so with Dorothy Parker it's just a, just a, a shout out slash Recommendation because I think her her stories are still underread and discussed, aren't they? Yeah. Even now, and I think anybody who likes Salinger, yeah, you know, Salinger's short stories might enjoy these, and they're, they're just like really beautifully economically crafted, aren't they? Yeah. So little little shout yeah. out for you.
0: So that's it. So Dorothy yeah. Parker, Eliza Haywood, amplify yeah, platform. Find the them. Women. We'll continue to amplify women's voices on this podcast. We're right? having the women's yeah. satire. Check out we'll amplify
1: my voice. <laughs> if you haven't listened
0: to, if you haven't listened to it, listen to our episode from last year. Where we talked about Mary Leaper and Stella Gibbons. Stella Gibbons, Mary Leaper and Stella Gibbons. Go back to episode six, satire and women, where we talk about this this issue more generally. That's all we've got time for today, though, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So quite the quite the range of subjects, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, World War Three and International Women's Day. Yeah. And. We hope you're okay.
0: Yeah, we hope you're okay. So we'll be back again soon. All being yeah. well. And in the meantime, if you want to join us, uh, the York Literature Festival in York, you can. We've got can. satire day on the on the twenty sixth of March. Two events. One with Andrew Bricker, who you will have heard in the last episode. One with Lee Stein.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to be quite meaningful, isn't it? Because this time, two years ago, we were still still trying to make plans for our York Literature Festival events that just kind of disappeared one by one. And yeah. That feels like kind of where it all started to become very real so it's really it amazing that we'll be able to do this for yeah. real in person internationally amplifying our voices
0: so if you can join us yeah. and uh, and amplifiers yeah but that's all we've got time for today if people want to get in touch let us know what they thought about all that what can they do joe
1: um they could have a word with our parrot uh, eliza Hayward no yeah they could send us a letter um, No, they can't do that they can't do that uh, send
0: us an email yeah I know yeah. <laughs> at Satire No
1: More we could have a P.O. Box we could have like a P.O. Box Yeah, yeah. BBC TV children's TV I think we should
0: get a P.O. Box before we get a TikTok
1: send us your artwork yeah and um, don't forget to put your name address and enclose uh, enclosed a stamped addressed envelope
0: so at Satire No More on yeah. Twitter at Talk About Satire on Instagram and Satire No More at gmail.com on t- internet
1: yes on the gmail
0: on the old gmail yeah thanks so much for listening
1: just sit up yeah yeah shut up and eat our satire eat our satire see you next time goodbye listeners